Welcome to the Professional Troublemaker Podcast. This is the place where we help you cultivate the courage, authenticity, and audacity you need to use your voice, take up space, and live a life that is so bold, even your wildest dreams say goals. I'm your host, Lovia Jai Jones, New York Times bestselling author, sought-after speaker, and side-eye sorceress, bringing you thought-provoking conversations with amazing people who have taken action and have consistently showed up with the courage and confidence they needed to become the fear fighters they are today. Like the late, great John Lewis said, these are the kind of people who are never, ever afraid to make some noise and get in good trouble, necessary trouble. Before we jump into today's interview, Know that this podcast is named after my second book, Professional Troublemaker, The Fear Fighter Manual, which hits bookstore shelves on March 2nd, 2021. How would our lives be different if we were given permission to be disruptors for the greater good? How far would we have gone if we already knew that our jobs aren't to shy away from big things, but to run towards them? How dope would our legacy be if we knew that fear is natural and we're actually supposed to do the things that scare us? How audacious would we be if imposter syndrome wasn't holding onto our ankles? In my new book, I talk about all these things and how my life has transformed as a result of being the person who committed to doing the things that feel bigger than me, doing the things that feel scary as shit, and things that make me lose my breath. This book is dedicated to my late grandmother, Fumilayo Falloin, who was the professional troublemaker I looked up to when I was growing up. You know what you can say to an elderly Nigerian stateswoman? who has been through the darkness of life and conquered all the mountains placed in her way? Not a damn thing. That spirit, those lessons, and that fortitude is the energy that I brought to this book. So you know it's anointed. The Fear Fighter Manual is game-changing, and I know it. So if you value this show, if you value the guests and their stories, the lessons, the wisdom, and inspiration I bring to you, If you've ever listened to something I said and wrote it down, you will love Professional Troublemaker, the Fear Fighter Manual. If you want to commit to fighting fear, imposter syndrome, and constantly finding courage in this scary world, this book is for you. So I need your help. I need you to help make this book a rousing success. I need you like I needed you for my first book, I'm Judging You, the Do Better Manual. Y'all helped me change my life by supporting it and making it a New York Times bestseller. And I need your help to do that again because this book is needed and I think it will leave a mark on you. I know it actually. We need to become professional troublemakers and this manual that I wrote, this book that I wrote, will help you make it happen. So be sure to pre-order Professional Troublemaker today, wherever books are sold, or go to professionaltroublemakerbook.com. You can get the hardcover, the paperback, or audiobook, which I narrated. So the URL is professionaltroublemakerbook.com. I'm so excited for you to read it. On this episode of Professional Troublemaker, I'm talking to award-winning actress, author, and filmmaker Gabby Sidibe. Gabby made her acting debut in 2009 in the film Precious, her first acting job, first audition, and came out of the gate with a Golden Globe and Academy Award nomination. She's gone on to star in film and TV projects like The Big C, American Horror Story, Empire, and most recently, Antebellum with Janelle Monet. Gabby is a storyteller to the core. Her memoir, This Is Just My Face, came out in 2017. And she's been doing work on the other side of the camera as a director. Here's why Gabby's a professional troublemaker and why I'm so geeked to talk to her today. She's absolutely unapologetic about who she is 
and has been from the beginning of her acting career. She lends her voice to causes she believes in, whether it's speaking out directly about voter suppression, building bridges for marginalized people in the entertainment industry, or even body positivity. This conversation is so raw and honest in all the best ways. And I cannot wait for you to hear her talk about how she got her start in acting. She tells us the real story that she doesn't usually tell, how we humble black women in all the wrong ways instead of giving us wings to soar, and we bond over the importance of therapy. And the two of us being on team, we don't like to hug strangers. Also, me and Gabby have a connection that we did not realize until this interview. So let's get into it. So, yes. So, yes. Excited to have you. And one of the first things that I always ask people who join me on this show is, what did you want to be when you were growing up? I wanted to be a, I wanted to be a psychotherapist. Mm. (laughs) I was uh, really, really, really interested in psychology at like too young an age, probably, because I had a best friend that used to see a therapist when she was like seven and I would go with her sometimes if I were like spending the night at her house and it was like this lady who would play with us and like ask us questions and I think like when you're young no one asks you real questions it's always like what do you want to be a fireman or something stupid but she was like how do you feel about and I was like (gasps) and I grew up in African you know household for a little bit so no one asked me how I felt about nothing so (laughs) so I thought it was like a really really cool thing to do to to do and to be and just like be paid to have conversations and uh yeah that's what I and I was really gunning to do it I was in school to do it up until I like dropped out to become an actor. <laughs> so first of all, we have that in common is I actually thought I was going to be a psychologist also. And my college degree Did is you? actually in psychology. So I, I made it a little bit. I thought I was yes. going to be that person, but I was like, you know what? It's okay. But okay. So you went to be a psychotherapist <laughs> very young. The African household. Let's talk about that thing. Okay. How yeah. was that? Because there's a certain things that we all have in common, having grown up with African parents. When you said I want to be a psychotherapist, what was the response? Oh, no, I was going to be a uh, mm-hmm. computer programmer. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> like, I was either going to be a, a computer programmer or an architect. Uh, most, more favorably, an architect. And like my African household was like a little different because my mom's American. Mm-hmm. My mom's from Georgia. So it truly was like a very split world in one household. And, uh, but I'm supposed to be an architect because my dad went to school in France and has a degree in architecture. Like my, my dad had, and his, I think his dad was like, my, my grandfather was, my grandfather was like the mayor at some point of a small town in Senegal. And so they were like wealthy ish. Mm -hmm. And so he got to go to college to become an architect and then moved to New York mm-hmm. to be a cab driver. Mm-hmm. So you know, that's, that, that, and that's what we have in common. Like we have to, if they don't get to be the thing that they want it to be, it's on yes. us to do it because they moved to America. Like they did the whole like immigrant thing for us and for a better life for themselves, and, but mostly for us to go ahead and take on what I think they want. Take on their to dreams. Do. So how was little yeah. Gabby? 
How did you act? Like, what was your personality <laughs> like? I was very, I was, okay, like, I think that I, a lot of people, I'm mm. very shy. I'm actually very, very shy. I'm like the shyest person. I look like a bitch a lot. Um, not because I'm not one, <laughs> but, because, <laughs> but, but because I don't like necessarily, I don't like talk to strangers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't, like, I just don't. It's a strange thing to me and I'm very shy and mm. I've always been really shy except for when I wasn't. And so I was really, I had the loudest laughed, laugh ever. Like I still have a really loud laugh. Uh, and my dad hated it. <laughs> so, so sometimes I would laugh harder and louder when I knew that he was around. Um, and I knew that he was too busy for me to actually get in trouble. So sometimes I would like use it like a, you know, like ch- chalks, like skin, like chalk against the, the chalkboard just to irritate him. I was, I thought I was so funny at some point. So before I decided to be a psychologist, I decided to be really? a comedian. And Yes, I decided to be a comedian and uh, I had all these joke books that I would like decided I would just start mm. performing like in front of my family. Like I, now this is a performance. Um, I remember asking my teachers to give me and I hate I was not at all liked in elementary school at all, but I still would ask my teachers to for like five minutes at the end of class so that I can perform my latest <laughs> joke that, that were all a hundred percent stolen but they were my they were my jokes nonetheless but outside of that like when I wasn't telling jokes and like laughing really loudly or you know farting really loudly which was also another specialty of mine um I was really really mm. quiet and angry mm. a lot <laughs> and why do you think you were angry because I hated everything I just like hated I'm like so I'm from I'm from Mm -hmm. Brooklyn New York and my the building I lived in was like kind of tough like every now and then I'll be talking to like uh my fiance who's who's had a very suburban upbringing it helps that he's white but he's had a very suburban upbringing and he'll like we'll be watching tv and he's like oh my babysitter's name was blah 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 and I'm like wow my babysitter got shot in the face at the party across the hall from my apartment like you know what I mean so that was my that was how I and it's not necessarily like how I grew up but like there was danger around like when I'm a child and I just, and I also like, I was like a fat round child who was either too mm. quiet or too loud and other kids didn't like me. And I didn't like other kids to keep right. it straight with you because kids, kids are assholes. Kids are a lot. Yeah. They're such assholes. They're such <laughs> dicks. And, uh, and I didn't like them. And so I was, uh, yeah, I was angry a lot. Like my, my childhood was extremely uncomfortable. My, my childhood was, sometimes I, mm-hmm. I watch like Euphoria. I just got into this like Netflix show called Grand Army. And it's about like teenagers at a school in Brooklyn. And their school looks a lot like my high school. I went to school in, um, I went to like a gigantic school in Manhattan called Washington Irving. And it's a lot like that. And I'm like, I not for, there's no amount of money I would go back in time and be a child for again. Mm. They haven't, they haven't found the number. (laughs) Like there's no amount of money 
a billion dollars, a zillion dollars, mm. I won't do it. Again, because kids are assholes and anybody who is anything remotely close to different is going to be considered mm-hmm. the target of that thing. Yeah, and also the thing about like being a kid and kids being asshole is like when you're a kid, also you're that. also facts. an asshole. Facts, facts, facts. Yeah, your, your brain's not 100% formed. Like your opinions aren't really yep. formed either. Like your opinions are based on either what you pretend yep. to not like or, you know, what the cool people like and what you should like also. And like, I would never, if I had to go to high school during a TikTok, I, 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 none of the challenges I'm doing, none of them. I couldn't do any of this. I think I got out of high school in 2001. Like cell, not everybody no, had a no, cell phone. No, even. So just in the nick of time, if I had to do this in 2020, no, no first of all, the fact that we are we are the bridge generation. So like we're the ones who remember the world when you couldn't have a cell phone because that thing cost a thousand dollars and most parents are like why? And it became, it became it the briefcase. In a briefcase. And then when you even tried to get on the internet, remember when it would take us like thirty six hours to download one song on Napster or Kazaa? First of all, you had to get the American online yes. CD out of a newspaper. <laughs> Yes. That's number yes. one. <laughs> and then you had to make sure that nobody was trying to call the house, that no one wanted yes. to make a phone call. Yes. And then you would yes. be this close. You'd be so, like 85% yeah. to downloading this song, the song that just came out. And then somebody will call your house and you're like, my homework mm-hmm. for the last 15 hours, just gone. Now I can't <laughs> listen to Nelly and Kelly Rowland. Now my Backstreet Boy CD, <laughs> I can't. Just mad. Exactly. Ooh, people don't understand struggle. These kids, do, they do not understand struggle. They don't understand they don't. struggle. It's, it's okay. But what they do understand is like sending a nude and then having that nude <laughs> leaked. And then like, you know, and then like everybody from every school in the surrounding area calling you a slut because like you like the boy enough to show him your nipple. That's what they understand. And let me tell you what I don't. You know what? That. That's a different type of struggle that I actually, I'm so glad we did not have. Our struggles were very like analog struggles. These kids' struggles are very different. They're like, oh, if I take one picture, you might ruin my life. Us, we ain't have the chance to take pictures. We have to go get it done at Walgreens. And who who has time? (laughs) First of all, you have to make t-shirts with your best friends. Then you have to go to the mall. And then Everything we have to do has multiple steps. Okay, we can even be as mischievous as we wanted because we needed multiple steps to do it. There's a lot of time to think again. <laughs> There's a lot of time to be like, no, yeah. that's not worth yeah. it. <laughs> Which stopped you from doing a lot of dumb shit. Now, they can do dumb shit so much. in a second. We have to plan our dumb shit. We have to plan that's our dumb shit. <laughs> <laughs> we need to take days off from schools <laughs> to do our dumb shit. That's right. God bless. God, good for good us. For I'm us. so glad. I'm so we glad we grew it. up where we, we did because it. all the different, the people that we were then, oh my God. So you were in high school. Mm-hmm. High school was trash. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What were you involved in? What was your friend group like? Okay. So I went to, the school I went to was 10 floors uh, big. I went to a giant school. Uh, There was no popular kids or like nerd kids. There was none of that. There were genuinely too many people in the school for that. Um, I'm, I don't know sport ball. So I didn't play on any teams. 
but, but the only team to, to be on was like okay. the volleyball team. Uh, the boys had a basketball team. There was no football in sight at all. I hear that football happens yes, at other yes. high schools. That's strange. Like my uh, fiance was explaining to me that he, that they had two dances oh, yeah. a year. Oh, yeah, yeah. Homecoming year. and prom. Yeah. yeah, that's what he was saying. And no, no, because no, you get a prom when you graduate in your senior year. So if your high school, my high school was four years. I only went for three years because I, I went to, because I got there at in 10th grade. But because my junior high was a different, whatever. But the only prom in sight was when I'm in 12th grade and I'm actually graduating high school. So there was no like, again, there's like the structure of my high school is very different than like what Zach and Slater and them did on Saved by the Bell. So my friend group was at first some bitches (laughs) I didn't like. And then, (laughs) but I didn't, but I knew them from junior high. And I didn't like them in junior high, but we both happened yes. to be in high school. So yes. we was best friends. And, and because location, Correct. location, location, we did not like each other, but we were best friends. And then um, at some point in the 11th grade, I found someone I did like. So I completely dropped off that other friend group and started hanging out with my homegirl because we both yes. liked NSYNC. Yes, and we NSYNC has started many a friendship. We yes. Yeah, and we would like, that's what we did. And we were best friends, 11th grade and 12th grade. We were best friends until we were like 24. And then, you know, location switch. Uh, but my friend group was, was, my friend group was really normal. I, we really didn't like each other, but we were stuck <laughs> together. And that's just it. You know, and some people are, no, 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 no. I have zero friends from high school. Gotcha. That's very different <laughs> from my high school experience. Zero. Since my high school is incestuous in that, like, everybody still hangs out with each other in the weirdest way. Well, you were just, you're I'm you're from, from Chicago, Chicago, by the way, of Nigeria. Right? Yeah, I came here when I was nine. So you went to high school and stuff in Chicago. What was, like, I know stories about Harper. But oh, we went to Whitney, I was that, in Whitney Young, which I, was, like, bougie. Okay. But it was on the, it was on the, Ooh. what's funny is Whitney Young was bougie, but it was on the edge of the West side. So like, had you gone two blocks okay. away from Whitney Young, you would be in an area where your parents would be like, don't go. Like I was on a basketball team for two years. And I remember one year, one, we had a game with one of the best teams in Chicago and they're on the West side. They're like four blocks away from Whitney Young. We're like not that far, but their area was so different from ours that our coach gave us a pep talk beforehand and said, if you want to go to the bathroom, you tell an adult, we have to walk you there because you might get beat up oh. on the way there. We was like, oh, okay. Um, we're not set for that. Uh, wow. So <laughs> we was like, we're not trying for that. You know what I mean? So yeah, that that was my high school. I went to the same high school that Whitney, uh, Michelle Obama went. But oh, like oh. in Chicago... You were not uh, Michelle girl. You know what I'm saying? I'd be like, hey, Michelle girl, you know, we went to the same high school girl. So we technically were besties, you know, 30 years apart. <laughs> but yeah, like for me, Whitney, so Chicago is very different in that Chicagoans in general rep their high school sometimes more than their colleges. Yes. It's just okay. this weird yeah. culture where that it's like, sense. where you go to high school? We'll ask that before we ask where you went to college. So... That makes sense. I Maybe that's a black ass thing, but also, you know, like I'm from Brooklyn and when I lived in Chicago, 
Chicago and Brooklyn are the same thing to me. <laughs> like yeah. they are the same. The yeah. people are the same. Like there are very Brooklyn dances. <laughs> like there's very Brooklyn music. It's very Chicago. Like, no, don't, oh, we only go to Harold's round here. Like it's, <laughs> and it's like, everybody is proud of that high school. Like we really like, I don't care if you went to SUNY. Like I don't care if you went to Harvard. Like which high school, high school yeah, for did real. you go to? They're like, who, where'd you go? Morgan Park? Oh, you went to Morgan Park. Oh, you went to Lane Tech. I don't understand. We don't even understand it either. We just do it. We just participate. That tells you everything you need to know about somebody. You went to Whitney Young and I know that you're bougie. <laughs> that's and how that's you how I, you know what I mean? Like, that's how I know. We rep our set and that's our set, our high school. Just <laughs> hot mess. So you then graduate from high school, go to college. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I went to college. So yeah, I went to, I went to college. So like what the other thing about high school is like, I struggled Mm. to get out. I didn't just fly through. I had to towards, I screwed around a lot. I did Um, not a lot. Actually, I was really, really smart. I was smart and good in elementary school and I was smart and good in junior high. And when I was smart and good in high school, I realized that no one actually cared that no one cared in elementary school, junior high. Like my parents, like the difference between my dad and other, I think African dads, my dad did not really give a shit about my education mm. at all, like at all. It's it's really cute when other, when I, I was like, oh, African parents do that? That's so, that's cute. Not over here. My dad did not give a shit. And my mom gave even less of a shit. Like my, because my, well, like, well, my dad, like, wanted me to be an architect for whatever his reasons were. My mom wanted to, me to be a singer. Right. Because she, she's she spent singer. 30 years singing. And so, yes, 30 or more. Yeah. Singing in the, in the subway, actually, because that's how she raised my brother and I. But so, like, there was no, my mom was, you know, being a star and that was her focus. And my dad, who, like, after we were the mm-hmm. first family, and he then went on to have more and more families. Like the other thing is that like he, so he married my mom. And when I was five, he married my stepmom. And when I was eight, we found out about it. Okay. So, you know what? We got to pause on that one. You, you can just. Right. Other reasons to be angry. You, let's That's actually now, let's now. rewind that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Toxicity is something that Africans can do differently <laughs> because we will keep some secrets that mm-hmm. will blow your mind. Yeah, the thing, but like the other thing is that like, so yeah, my dad is uh, Senegalese mm-hmm. and in Senegal, and in Senegal, the men are allowed to marry more than mm-hmm. one woman. This is also in the Quran and ah, my dad was- he's uh, Muslim. My dad is ah. Muslim, yes. And so he was, you know, by the law of Allah and the law of his, you know, his home country, he's allowed to do this. And it's open in a way that, you know, it, if you're going to do that, that should be open. However, my right. mom is American and he married my mom, not because they were in love with each other, but because she was American. And again, and there were no, there were no lies about this. Like they met specifically because he was looking for a wife so mm. that he can stay in the country. So they got married for the green card. And according to my mom, she didn't even give him none until they were married mm. for over a year. But according to my dad, <laughs> nope. <laughs> no, according to my dad, they were hitting it pretty quickly. But um, they then, I think after they were married for over a year, 
she then told her parents about it because they were in Georgia and she was like, they were like, who is, who is this Ibnu that you're always talking about is my dad's name. And then uh, she was like, all right, I'll bring him over so y'all can meet him. And then they told them that they were married. And then after that, I think they, then my dad took her to Senegal to meet his family. And I think she fell in love with Africa and African people. Cause like my mom's 1952, mm. Georgia, like her idea of what Africa is, was mm. extremely ignorant and, and, but like purposely, you know, like, as, you know, the, the images of Africans um, in the media and in television are what they, or they were, yeah. they're changing now, but they were, they were on purpose. And so she fell in love with Africa and then she mm. fell in love with him. And then they had my brother and I, and she met his, he was arranged to get married to his second wife. He was, okay. he was arranged to marry her first. So she met her, Tola, she met her uh, in Africa and she asked her, can I marry, can I marry him also? And my mom was like, I get that you want to get married to him. And I know that you guys have been like arranged or whatever. And I get it. He just needs to divorce me first. Like he has to be done with it because I'm American and we got married in America. You can't do that. So he'll have to divorce me first. So, but yes, when you're ready and we'll just, but then my dad's like, I ain't marrying her. And like, that's over. And like, I'm about you, you know, and all this. And then um, he married her, you know, he married her a few years later. He didn't tell my mom because he wanted his cake. He wanted to eat it too. And then uh, he, <laughs> and that's just what happened. And then he eventually, eventually she moved to America and she lived with us because technically she was his first cousin. And so like we, and we didn't know, like my brother and I didn't know, we're young kids. We had no idea. And my mom didn't know that they were together. She didn't know that they were married either. But I think that she let her come over and live with them and then live with us. And I think she started to suspect some stuff, but also by then my mom wanted out of the marriage. So she kind of let it do what it was going to do. And then, uh, yeah, after when I was eight, three years or so, we found out that they were married and that's how my mom got out of Brooklyn and got out of that wow. marriage. I think she was like biting her tongue because exactly. it just doesn't make sense. Like, it, it, and it here you are watching it all go down. Mm-hmm. And it was very strange. Like it was, you know, I'm at this point, I'm like eight, eight or nine. And I, at this, you know, like we lived in the big kind of apartment in Brooklyn with a terrace and I had my own bedroom. And then all of a sudden, like, here's this cousin and she's cool or whatever, but now I have to share my bed. But now mm. everything's weird. And now we're leaving. And we literally moved into a one bedroom at my aunt's house and two mm. twin beds. So my mom, my brother and I shared two twin beds. And my dad moved in... The second wife, she happened to be pregnant. They already had a son that was back in Senegal. He came, her daughter came. And it was like, and they're literally still all in the Mm. same apartment. But my dad has another wife and another group of kids in the same apartment. So it was like still, you know, like I went from having my own bedroom to like now my bedroom is filled with other people and a different family. Like it literally, I'm seeing my family that I never thought was good enough because we're American, you know what I mean? Like, we're not, we don't fit this thing. And like, my dad finally got his African wife and his African children and they're in our, they're in our slot, they're in our slots. 
because that's what was supposed to happen. It almost felt right. like we were extra. And so, yeah. Wow. Yeah, that was a strange thing. So, yeah, no one really cared about my education. My dad's like trying to build a farm a of farm people. A farm of people. He's building his own. Because cause he, my dad has like, so the other thing is Senegalese men don't, um, I don't, I don't know if it's Senegalese men or if it's just my dad, but he doesn't count his children because it's this idea that you can't uh, count your chickens before they're hatched. So there's this idea that if you count your chick, if you count how many kids, if you say I have 12 kids, then God will see that as being boastful and he'll take some away. So he doesn't, so I have no idea how many um, children my dad have. So what, when, when high school was ending, at that point, where were you? So by the time high school was ending, so we lived with my aunt for like three or four years. And then we moved into a studio apartment for five years. And my mom and my brother and I shared a bunk bed for five years. And then when I was, I think 16, 15 or 16, we finally got a two bedroom apartment. So by the time, uh, high school was ending, I had my own room again because my mom, because we were teenagers, my mom's like, all right, I'm going to give you and your brother a room each and I'll mm. just sleep in the living room. And so by the time, by the time I, you know, high school was ending, my relationship with my dad was shards of glass, if anything at all. And I finally had some bit of privacy, but also was ex- still, was still extremely, um, uncomfortable uncomfortable like I actually never felt comfortable or safe until I lived by myself so then when did acting happen how did you get to acting so this is a very weird story (laughs) and I almost never tell the real story because it's Bananas. Give me the bananas. But, Give me the uh, real story. So, okay. <laughs> so my mom is my mom's a singer. My mom was a singer. She's retired now, but she was a she sang in the subway. She was actually a really popular subway singer. She is uh, she was very very talented, and so um, a lot of people knew her. And she was really able to raise my brother mm. and I doing this. Now while she was in the subway, she would get like you know, she had business cards. And so she would perform at bar mitzvahs and weddings and, you know, funerals and things like that. And every now and then she would do a commercial or a movie or something like super every now and then, like really not very infrequent. And uh, when I was in college, uh, my mom told me that a director approached her and wanted her to audition for Mm -hmm. a movie. And I was like, that's dope, because it's not like she said that all the time. I was like, you should do it. She was like, I don't think I'm going to do it because it's uh, it's based on this book called Push. And in the book, like the the mom is raping her daughter and I don't want to audition for that. And I was like, oh, so they want you to play the mom. She's like, yeah, they want me to play the mom. And I just don't. I don't think I want to do because also my, before my mom was a okay. singer, she was a teacher for like a long, long, long time. And she's like, I don't want my kids 
that I taught their parents to think that I would do this, that this is not who I am. And I was like, I think that you should do it. I think you're giving away an opportunity. Why are you singing in the subway? Like, what is the point of singing the subway if it's not for these opportunities to walk by, which right. is what she was doing, you know? And she's like, I don't think this is right, but read the book so you'll understand my decision. So I read the book and I was like, okay, I get it. But, but still like, this is an opportunity that you're walking away from, like you're crazy. And she said, no, I think Monique should do the mom. Like it's gotta be some, she's like, I think it should be Monique or somebody because she's a comedian and people already know that she's not like this. And so, uh, it shouldn't be me. Nobody knows who I am. People will punch me in the face as they, you know. And I was like, all right. And then she's like, well, do you want me to see if the, do you want me to see if they cast the daughter? And I was like, no, I don't. I don't want to want you to see. Because I wasn't right. an actor. At this point, how old were you? For psychology. Uh, wow, okay. 19. And so, yeah, I was like 19 and I was like in school and like it, I struggled so hard to get to school, to school that I was like, this is dumb. No, get out of my face, get out of my room. And so cut to five years later, I had, I'd been in school. I had, I battled tooth and nail, a very wicked depression that dropped my grades so low that I, <laughs> I like had to get out of school for a bit and then even to get back in, I had to like get the chancellor or dean or whatever to sign. And then it turns out I couldn't pay for it. So then I, I got a job for three years. I worked at a phone sex company for three years. And then finally I was getting back into school. Like, cause like the whole thing is like, so in, in order to use you, did you like pay for college or did you like financial use aid. financial aid? Same, same. So the thing about financial aid is you can get it the second you turn 18 to go to school. If you leave for any reason, you uh, are no longer eligible until you are 24 years old. At 24, you can use your own taxes because when you're first doing it, right. you're using your parents' taxes. But so that's, so I literally couldn't get back into school for three years. So I had to get a job to wait to be able to use my own taxes for financial aid because I didn't want to take out any loans. So finally, I'm back in school. I'm back in school. It's been a week. It's less than a week, actually. It's been like three days and I'm back in school and I find a school that's just around the corner from my job so that I can take classes and go to, you know, and go back and forth. And the way the phone sex company worked is I can work pretty much any Wait, hours. Wait, you were actually a phone sex operator? So I was a phone sex operator for two months before getting promoted to receptionist. And then eventually I was a monitor and then also an operator. And at the at this point, I was actually in training to become mm. a trainer, to be the one to hire. But yeah, when the phones get busy, I, everybody was a phone sex operator. So yes. So, so yes, but, uh, but like, so I could do whatever I want. Like it was really, and I still like live with my mom and I just like, it's New York living, you know? And so, um, I get a call. I'm literally sitting in the like FAFSA office or something. And my friend calls me and says, Hey, this movie is coming to audition. And I think they're looking for a girl like you. And I had it really acted. It was literally, I think, based on body type mm. more than anything. And the fact that this guy knew me. And he and I was like, what's the movie? He was like, it's this book called Push. Have you heard of it? And I was like, oh, yeah, I actually read it because uh, I was like, oh, that movie? They're finally doing it? That's wild. 
Um, he's like, do you want to audition? Yeah. I was like, no. And then <laughs> I was like, nah, I'm good. And he's like, think about it. Cause I don't think there are a lot of people. He's like, you know, just think about it. And I was like, all right, cool. So then, and that okay. was like a Friday and I called my mom and I was like, yo, is that book still in the house? And she was like, yeah, it's still in, you know, you should just reread it. And it's a really quick read. And I was like, I don't know, maybe whatever. And I remember that night I went to, for extra money, I did, oh my God, I totally forgot this. I did uh, a shift as a bathroom attendant. Oh, at snap. A club. You were the one handing out um, mitts. It, yeah, it's awful. It's awful. <laughs> like at a restaurant, it's at a little nicer, but at like a drunk? nightclub where, like, oh my God, and people blowing weed smoke in your, ugh, it's so gross. Yeah. Uh, it was the worst. I hated it so much. But <laughs> I remember after that, I like went home at like three in the morning or something and read the book three, four, five in the morning and reread the first page and was like, this will never happen. And I put it back in the shelf because that audition, the audition was like Monday. It was like Monday morning and I had class at the same time. So the, my class is downtown, the audition was uptown. And I was like, there's no way I'm not an actor. This is not going to happen. I might as well go to class. So I leave the house and there happened to be a movie filming on the downtown side of okay. the street. And I tried to cut through it because I didn't know how sets work. And they asked me to cross the street to the uptown side. And because I was on the upside, the uptown side, I went to the audition. And that was a Monday and they Stop hired me it. on Wednesday. What? They called you back on Wednesday and said. Well, so like I did the audition. They called me back like within an, within an hour of leaving the audition. They called me and they're like, we want you to come to the callback tomorrow. And I was like, okay. And then I went to the callback and they were like, wow, you don't seem nervous at all. I was like, because I think you're lying. Because they were like, you're so good. And I was like, sure lady, you know? And then um, I left the callback and got a call within a half an hour that the director wanted to meet me the next day. And so I went in to meet with the director and he off he just kind of offered me the part. And we started shooting three weeks later. What? Yeah. I'm also like very, look, I'm, you know, we're all in control of our lives to a point. That is some shit I could not have controlled. I could not, if I were in control of that, I would have fucked it up. Absolutely. So. Like I'm not. I understand that that was that was led by some someone bigger. Did thank God. Was that an instant change and shift in everything? What changed when they said yes? Oh, um, the weird. It's like that instant change was like yeah. It was instant, but also it was like a year and a half long. Mm. So, you know, like I had to, I did one more shift down at the phone mm. sexory and then, <laughs> and then decided that I was too fancy. So I was like, I'm not doing these phone sex calls. I'm just going to get these done. Like, <laughs> like all of a sudden, but I, um, we started shooting three weeks later and it's so scary and it's so weird. And it was, you know, there was a gigantic shift mm. in my family. And, you know, the way those things happen that like, you know, we love our family. We love our family so much and they love us. And I know my family loves me, but I all of a sudden became the culmination of every mm. opportunity that they could have had, didn't take an ATM mm. machine. 
I can finance this, I can invest in that or whatever. And it's, and I, I really felt like I wasn't, like I didn't have a family for a while. Like I fully mm-hmm. felt like an orphan where like, cause like also like my mom, uh, God bless her. She did not take the opportunity to audition and I did. And she was, I think, really able to see her regret mm-hmm. in me, which I, I understand and I get. I, I actually get it and I feel for her. But she, re- like when she, when some people say, oh, it could have been me, it could have been me, it really mm-hmm. could have. But she decided that it wouldn't be. And it took a wish for some while. She took that. Mm. I paid for that for a while. I paid for that. Um, I had friends that we didn't, we just were not um, gelling Mm. anymore. And people change, you know, people change, but also like I, I'm different. You know, we grow, we're supposed to grow. Like not that any not that any opportunity or movie or whatever is supposed to make me a bitch now. I'm not supposed to be like a complete asshole. But my yeah. needs are different. And then it's like, oh, so you too fancy to go down to a the little movies bit. now? A little like, bit. Like, you know, and it's it's like, oh, so you don't want to go to the red lobster. I mean, I do actually like, enjoy oh. the red lobster, but can it be delivered? <laughs> yeah. This is before posting. Right. So it was you know, so things, the world, the world does change. And then it's like, oh, so you're too busy to, to, oh, you can't come mm. to my baby shower. And it's like, I'm literally not even in the country. Mm. I'm so sorry. Or like, you know, or like. When the, when, when Precious came like, out, you got thrust into such a big limelight so quickly. And it was not always kind. <laughs> it's still not it's still right not. We'll, we'll even talk about that because yeah. so in that whole process like all of a sudden you're on this the movie's getting all the shine everybody's saying your name Monique's definitely not in kind ways because people are not kind to black women who are plus size who are dark right they're not <laughs> so how are you functioning how are you functioning Oh, it's, see, the other thing about, like, that sort of life is, like, you're all supposed to be so grateful and so humble. I don't know what, this, maybe this, I feel like this is a black-ass, another black-ass thing. I don't know why black people insist that everyone be Mm. so humble. And why do we, and we, we, we humble black women regularly. We humble black people in general, but like especially a black woman, we humble humble thyself, beloved. Like that's us. We be saying that. You know what I mean? And like white people mm. don't say that to us. <laughs> we don't say that to white people. Like that maybe we do. But it's us saying it to us. And it's not like I'm acting, I'm out here being like, I'm better than you. And I'm just like, yeah, I just feel really awesome. And it'd be like, first of all, I feel like you're and it's so like there's being happy is um sometimes can Mm. feel so dangerous and uh, being proud can Mm. feel really dangerous. And so a lot of, yes, everyone, like people are, you know, really, she's so beautiful. And like, oh my God, you're so great. And like all of the compliments, all of the compliments, I didn't feel like I was Mm. allowed to take. And so I didn't, I would leave them on the ground. I would not believe them. I would not believe them at all. So, but if I'm not believing compliments, I got to believe something. And so it was the criticisms. (laughs) that I believe because the criticisms, the criticisms 
were coming from faces mm-hmm. that look like mine. And it was faces like mine that I believe is my audience that's telling me that like, I ain't shit. Mm. I speak too white. I also mm. speak too ghetto. I'm also too fat, but I'm also not fat enough. And I'm too dark skinned, but also I have mm. really beautiful skin and I better not change it. And like, and all of these things. And it's like, there's no winning. It didn't feel like any winning at all. And also at the same time, I was like, I was nominated for so many awards and I lost so many of them. So like, so it's like, it's like, it's a professional win and also a professional loss, but also a, like a like a human loss like a very realistic real life person loss because no one I can't I Mm. can't complain because it's like well what you complaining for because if I was you and I and all this stuff it was really really uncomfortable but I also had to smile all the time to make sure people knew that I was humbled and happy and all of these things it's very very stressful it's stressful to be a black woman no matter what you do I think no matter what you do if you're good at what you do like if you're a really really great dentist there's somebody Mm. to tell you to humble yourself if you're a really great teacher there's someone to tell you that you need to take that down a notch that's some real So I had a lot of stress rashers. Imagine being in an online space where people's foolishness doesn't make you want to fight the air. That might sound impossible with your current choices for social media, but I was sick of wading through nonsense to find like-minded people. So I created my online community. And if you're the kind of person who is striving to be a professional troublemaker and fight fear, we need you to join us in that community because you need people to cheer you on. Love Nation is my online community and app that is a safe space in a dumpster fire world. It's the place for the most thoughtful, funny, most chill deficient people on these interwebs. We're a community that comes together to make each other better with curated conversations, opportunities to connect, and challenges to help us transform and do better in every area of our lives. So I want you to come in there, join us, become a citizen of Love Nation. So go to lovenation.com. L-U-V-V-N-A-T-I-O-N. Download the app in the App Store or on your Android. It's on iOS and Android. And come on through. All right? Back to the podcast. So in 2014, I saw you at the Women's Media Center Awards, was it? that's you right there so you were getting an award um it was my body my choice it was either women's media center or something oh it was the gloria award yes did i do a speech i'm sitting there in the audience and i was absolutely there there? and one of the the video of you that went viral i did that (laughs) (laughs) then you that was my video that everybody was running around. It's on my Facebook page right now. Yes. Are you serious? I had no That was me. And I didn't, so I just posted it because it was you saying, it was talking about how like you growing up and what you learned. Like, and I put the quote, it's from 2014. If they hadn't told me I was ugly, I never would have searched for my beauty. And if they hadn't tried to break me down, I wouldn't know that I'm unbreakable. I wouldn't know. I'm, I'm- Gloria Awards. <laughs> yes. That clip that I posted on oh, my shit. Facebook fan page. Uh-huh. Is what then went nuts. 
all and I just started seeing so everybody scared. posting it. And I just posted it because it was such a moment that resonated with me. Cause I remember sitting there just being like, yo, she's so dope. Because I I saw the screening of Precious. I watched the thing like a couple of times. That was around the time when I was also writing about movies on my blog. And I remember writing about it. But like meeting you, I actually met you very briefly that night, but it was right after that speech. And that speech, listen, I remember just sitting there like, wow. Like when people talk about courage, they, people, people think courage is just like, oh, showing up. Well, no, like that moment was courage. Like that moment was like deep courage in front of all of these white people. Cause you know, glory awards, all these white folk, right? And here you are being your full yeah. self. You had on this beautiful red dress and you gave this speech. And I was like, yes, I'm in the audience. Just like, oh yeah. Oh. So yeah, I had that video. I, I, oh. I'm the one, I was like, one day I'm going to tell her. I was like, one day I'm going to tell her. My clip is actually winding up going nuts. Oh my God. That's, that's <laughs> wild. That's, that's, that's wild. Yeah, I did not. Wow. I had no idea. Thank you so much. Um, at that point, I was so terrified to write anything and say anything because I like the idea of being what of like being able to be whatever it is that people think I am. Like at that point, it's like if you think I'm glamorous and you think I'm like so put together and so confident, then sure. If you think I'm a bag of trash and that I should, you know, I don't know lose weight or whatever, then sure. I was fine with that. But being my open self, only because like I, it might, I don't know what it is, but I feel like if I tell people what I'm vulnerable about, vulnerable about, yep. if they'll use it against yep. me. Like I don't tell people, I don't yep. tell people my fears. Like I don't tell people my fears because I feel like they'll use it against me. And that's just, and that's like deep rooted stuff from like childhood. And that was kind of the first time I was like, all right, I'm going to talk about this. I'm going to do it. And if they use it against me, I've written it down. I did it first. You know what I mean? Like I said the thing, I did it. You can't come back and yell at me that I'm, that I'm insecure about things because mm -hmm. I told you I was, you know? And uh, it took a while to, I wrote that speech in, I like woke up at seven in the morning and, and wrote it to like, and wrote, wrote, wrote until like, uh, like 2 p.m. And that's what came out. And that's pretty much the unedited version of that speech. And the, I don't know why I'm crying. It's just that that clip that went, clip. that clip did go viral. And then this transcript from the, from the whole thing, like went viral and was tweeted and all these things. And I don't even think I had a Twitter at the time. And that got mm. me a book deal. Wow. And that book deal bought me wow. this house. And, <laughs> you know, and bought me this, like that book deal, that book, what the freedom of that book deal did for me, because like before that, I was like, all right, well, I just got to make sure, like being an actor, being an actor, like literally my whole job is making sure that somebody likes me enough mm. for one slot. And that even if I audition for something, I have to, I have to make you like me more than the last person you saw and more than the next mm. person you'll see. I have to make you like me. And so like, it's, I'm almost like at the beck and call and the mercy of other people and their whims or whatever they need or whatever, you know, what they like or what they don't like, but I can write a fucking book now. You know what I mean? Like I can write a book. Like acting didn't get me the this book. house. The book did. You know, the book did. 
the book that I'm like sitting at like my, I have a makeup room in my house <laughs> because I wrote a book and I can write another book and I can write another, you know what I mean? Like, and I, like, there's a thing that feels like I can sustain myself. I don't have to wait for someone to decide to like me because I can write a book because I can write and make you feel something and make you see yourself or whatever. And that moment for me, that, that speech that was, I did not know it was going to, it was not supposed to go viral either. Like it yeah, was a close People don't post about Glory like, Awards. I just happened to be the blogger who in the room no. because I'd won an award two, <laughs> yeah. two years before I'd won an award with the Women's Media Center. So they will have me come to every award since then. And I- That is so dope. Look at God. God, though. Look at him. Look at him. That's, and I just remember, I would be seeing that clip everywhere. I'm like, yo, that's hilarious. It started on my site. And I'm on the thing right now, reading some of the comments. And so many people were like, I have been called fat and ugly my entire life. It wasn't until I learned to love myself that anyone else's opinion truly didn't matter. Like that, even there's 2,000 comments on that post, on that video that I posted of you, of people just being like, Thank you for letting me be me wow. and seeing this. It was such a significant thing that it's one of the first things I was like, oh my God, like. That's incredible. And you know what? And I needed to learn that being vulnerable is not scary. It's not like a weapon that I'm giving mm. you to stab me with. It doesn't have to be that. It really doesn't have to be that. And that going viral really taught me the power in in my vulnerability yeah. and the power in in being yeah. honest and the freedom really in it not just the, like just the freedom and being like oh sometimes i have terrible days <laughs> like being able to say that is such a gift uh especially when like my whole thing, like you know what i do for a living is like it's you know sleight of hand i'm supposed to make people think that life is great or whatever. I'm a puppet. And to be a human is, um, is something I have to take by force. And I think that writing that speech and having as many people see it as they did when they were not supposed to see it. I only wrote it because no one was supposed to see it because I was not supposed to leave that room. But what it's done for me, not just, you know, again, like not just this how to the book or whatever, but like what it's done for me as a person, what it's done for my growth, my personal, spiritual, mental growth is, um, ah, I can't. That's, that's amazing. I actually didn't know, I didn't know the yeah. aftermath of, that speech and how much it actually did but look like I, I just know that you represent a lot of courage for people because you show up with your full self in a world that is not loving you in this way all the time and they're constantly giving you shit for it you get a lot of shit for it I just saw the one from a couple of weeks ago what was a couple of weeks ago? <laughs> I couldn't have anything you, by you, now. God you announced it. your engagement. Oh, true. you announced your engagement. <laughs> and I was just, and I, in these moments, yeah. I'm always thinking, how is she standing strong in the midst of these arrows that are being thrown at her? You know, the thing about like announcing my engagement. It's so strange. So my my fiance is from Chicago. 
he's like a normal mm-hmm. man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like he's like a normal, he's a, he's a normal man. He works in this industry, but like he's an agent and he's a, you know, mar- he's in branding and marketing and he's on the other side of it. He's not the face of it. And um, he doesn't like date people like me, a lot, you know, a lot or ever. And um, so he's still very normal. Where like, if he gets engaged and he like, this man loves me. He is extremely in love with me. Yes. Um, wants to tell everyone because yes. he's in love with me. Because I'm his, I'm his, you know, wife and I'm his future and he yes. loves the shit out of me. And so I have to, while well, I want to be like, cause we got it, we actually got engaged weeks before we announced it <laughs> like mm-hmm. weeks before and I like we only announced it because he's a normal man and I want him to be able to have these normal things because it's actually a normal to be like got engaged on your Instagram or Twitter or whatever that's that's a normal thing and um we did not think it would be what it was going to be mm. but it was and it's something that you know I've had to get used to and he's going to have to get used to and he's and he's fine. He's fine with whatever makes me happy. But it is it's crazy. People ask him if he has a fetish. Wow. Like, wow. <laughs> he also is like very much like he's a very nice man too. He's like a very good hearted like nice man. So like he's like oh all of these people want to <laughs> say hi to me in my DMs. And so I said hi back. And he's like, and this guy was like, oh, you're cute. I'm so sad that you have a girlfriend, but if you ever want to wow. hook up, and it's a guy, what is this? And I have to be like, so I have to be like, okay, side, boom. <laughs> so what's gonna happen is that uh, you might get a bunch of shade room gays in your DMs trying to out you <laughs> like, and trying to be like, they're gonna send you yep. DMs or whatever, just so they can like repost it or, or people might now, you know, want you to be gay so that you're not treated like whatever it yep. is, it's for clicks. Like he's got, he like gets a lot of, he just got DM something and offered to do some podcast yesterday and he had to run the name by me and I had to be like, okay, so that's gossip and they want, they want you mm. on to gossip about me. And so like, He's got a, it's a, it's a new world for him in a way. And he does not have a fat, a fetish. It isn't like but a that's fetish wild. for like, like uh, either black women is, or fat women. Why? Why would yeah. that be? I mean, I know why that would be the thing because people are trash, utter garbage, dumpster fire. That's the reason why. But like, like deeply, I need, I need people to just get their shit together. This is fucking wild to me. I'm just like, there's nothing about you yeah. that is unlovable. I don't. That'd be the thing. That'd be the thing, too. People would be like, because it, it vacillates between, like, I'm so happy for her to, like, damn, and I can't even get a text back. Or, like, damn, he must, like, you know, or, or this or that or all these things. And I'm like, or, or there are also people being like, girl, you need a prenup because obviously he's just there for your money. And how come you can't tell that he's gay? And how come you can't tell that he this, all this? And it hurts his feelings because, like, the people saying it, are people that look exactly like me. Like, it's hmm. it's me. It's my community. <laughs> like, it's Black people. And so he's like, and who, and he he doesn't have like a, a Black fetish, a fat fetish, any other fetishes. But why he would loving have you have to be a fetish? That's the thing that is. Because the thing is, I'm dope. The thing is like, I'd be like, yo, you only know who I am because I'm dope. The fuck? Like how, <laughs> because I'm dope. And you also don't even all the way know me. If you spent five minutes with me, you too. My fault, like I'm dope, of course, of course. But like, 
but they can't see it because they can't see past because because we have so many daggers coming to us as a community as black people there are so many things telling us that we are unlovable that we are ugly that we can't get a man unless we get that brazilian butt lift that like it's waist trainers all of these things eyelashes that look like goddamn (laughs) church fans like unless we do that then we're unlovable and that we mean nothing and so i just being alive am um and upfront to that, <laughs> like, like my being alive yes. disagrees with that and yes. their idea of what beauty is and what standards are, and they can't get past it because they secretly yep. hate themselves. And it's sad. And I can't tell you how many girls look exactly like me that are like, obviously he's using you and he don't want you and all of this shit. And to be like, they look exactly like Self-hate like is a bitch, but ugly? that's why I'm like, you're... Yeah presence and being is so important just you being you you being like fuck y'all I'm dope is significant like because they're expecting you to be like you guys are right I just I just don't like who I am today no 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 the fact that you're like listen okay you came on wearing your queen sweatshirt please like I need how cute is this sweatshirt it's um isn't that uh, a fure Grassfield, it's, oh, is it? Yep, it's a fure. It's either, I only, yep, I like their yeah. stuff. Their stuff is on point. Yeah. Their stuff is on I point. Like, this. I need, I want you. Yeah. I'm, that's why I'm like, I'm, I'm always rooting for you because I need you <laughs> to be like, y'all, you might not like me, but I'll be out here collecting all these checks, doing all these things, and you're just going to have to be mad about it. Be mad. And on top of it, like, I, maybe it helps that, like, again, I was a very unlikable child. Like, unlikable. I, if I ever did speak, it was <laughs> the wrong thing. And, and I'm used to it. I'm used, I know people are not going to like me. And the thing is, like, people don't like me when I'm quiet either, because people don't like the way I look. Like, there's nothing, I'm, there are plenty of people I'm never going to win with until I'm 110 pounds. I'm never going to win with until I have that, I don't know, Brazilian yakky silky or whatever. There are plenty of people I'm never going to win with. And I'm cool because- Listen, I'm 110 people. pounds and some people still don't like me, so it's fine. Like, <laughs> look, it, it, don't matter, it don't matter what we change about ourselves. People will always find a reason to not like us. They just happen to hold on to the reason for you being that you are plus size. They will, even if you were to lose 95 pounds today, they'll still be like, but I don't like that thing that she did that one time. It don't matter. Oh no, I actually lost, (laughs) I actually actually lost over a hundred pounds and people were writing op-eds about how devastated they are and betrayed they feel by my weight loss. And like, it's, it's, or it, and then it's also people being like, I thought that you was gonna lose weight. And how come you ain't lose weight? And people being like, listen, sis, you need this tea because it's hell and you just need to lose and like, let me help you. And I'm like, I didn't nope. ask for any of that. Nope. I don't need your advice. You can absolutely mind your own body. You can mind your own body if you like me big. If you like me at like 700 pounds or 70, I don't give a shit. Mind your own body. Like, I have a whole chapter in my book about it. Like, mind, mind your, your own, own body. body. Fish your front. Fish your everlasting front lord <laughs> that's look that that's it face your front people need to just like mind their own body that needs to be a t-shirt that you exactly. should do a t-shirt called mine just, just that just says it just says mind your own body like so like for you what do you Trademark. do for the quiet moments how are you taking care of yourself 
no matter what it is that's happening around you? No, I was watching something and this little black girl was talking about how self-care is actually mm. a luxury that like not all of us have it. Not all of us have it. Cause like self-care is technically like yeah. going to the spa and things and not every community has the ability to go to the spa every whip. And like, certainly it's a pandemic. And so nobody's, I'm not going to a spa, but <clears throat> self-care is getting harder and smaller hmm. at the same time. Like the things that I do for self-care are becoming much smaller. Like I really, really love peppermint hmm. water and so I'm drinking peppermint water because this is how yes. I care for myself. This is how I, I'm self-soothing. This is how <laughs> I'm like celebrating good things by drinking peppermint water. It doesn't have to be some like Agreed. trip to Tulum. It doesn't have to be like, you know, a castle <laughs> in Turks and Caicos. It, it could be just sitting in. I also got these like from Amazon. I love Amazon so much. I got these little pods that um, smell like mm. eucalyptus. And I put them in the shower. And I run the shower for two minutes and then I get in it and it, the smell of oh. you just fills my nose. It's so good. And then I think they're like $15 or something. Um, Self-care is extremely yep. important and it's, and it's, and it's accessible if you, if you can think outside the box. Um, I take care of myself and I take care. I, I have two cats. I, we nap with the cats. I like my boyfriend. Beyonce, Beyonce. girl. It, it, it takes a minute to get used to it. It takes yes. a minute to get used to it. It's so weird. I feel so French. It's, like, it's such a strange word, but my fiance is like, he works from home now like everybody else does. And um, I pretty much like will wait for silence for when he's off a meeting. And then we do this thing where we walk in and I go, hello, or he'll go, hello, hello. And then we'll meet each other like in the hallway or something. Or we like watch programs together. Cause he's like a grandma. And so um, we've been watching a lot of mm. SVU lately. So we got to solve some of these murders. <laughs> so okay. <laughs> we saw the murders for self care. And uh, that's what we do. I just, I, I love on myself. I love yes. on my loved ones. I'll have a long FaceTime call yes. with my best friend. I like, you know, I, I we send each other like DMs of cat videos. I'm really into Tony Baker. I have two cats and he won't pay attention to my cats. And it just feels like I feel personally attacked that he won't do a voiceover <laughs> for my cats. However, um, we're still trying. And that, these are the small, because I can't leave the house. Like, because, so like I live in California where like, I think uh, someone dies of Corona Listen. every eight minutes. Bummer, so sad. Uh, it's, it's devastating. It's so devastating. It's so scary here. And my fiance is like trying to crack down on me. I can't even go through casual, I, I can't take a casual walk no, through Target that's so anymore. sad, right? We can't go to Whole Foods just on random. He's yeah. cracking down. No, you can't, you can't. You can't <laughs> do it though, you can't do me. it. Yeah, I can't do it. You can't it. do it. So the, the ways I take care of myself are very small and they're harder to do because everything feels awful, but they're much more meaningful. That's real. And I'm a firm believer also that self-care is not just about the spot. Like you got to self-care might sometimes mean putting your phone on do not disturb for three hours just to block out the world. Like for me, self-care, I'm drinking lemon Absolutely. water. So that's mine. Right. Like cheer. Like, look, uh-huh. Self-care, my mean. Who also I see a therapist. <laughs> say that again. I need you to say That's that, that again. That's that real self-care. 
Also, I was like, why didn't I start with that? I see my therapist every Thursday morning. Like I see her through FaceTime. She's in Chicago and I see her every Thursday morning. And that is the, that's actually the yes. best way I'm taking care of me. My, it's my favorite way of taking care of myself. And it's uh, because we don't, we also like, I know it's a, it's a thing in the black community. We don't know that yeah. that is for us. We don't know that we need it. We don't know that we can have it. We have no idea. We don't know that it's that it's something. It's not something to be ashamed. That of. That part, it's not. All the trauma that we feel, like every every day, every time I scroll down Facebook or Twitter, I'm holding myself, hoping that there's not a new hashtag of someone, you know, of like some other, some new unarmed black man, black teen, black woman who's being like strung up in, by a mob uh, storming the Capitol. Like it's it, every day I'm just holding myself. The trauma that we yeah. face daily in our skin, in yeah. our own skin, in this country, we are yeah. not welcome here, man. We are not welcome here. And I don't, and I, you know, <laughs> and I don't, I don't know if we'll ever be. And every day is a fight and I, my mind gets tired and I need some, I need a place for my mind to rest. Therapy is a place where my yes. mind rests. We all deserve this bit of rest. We all deserve it. We deserve some place because like, if you, I also, I was explaining to my fiance that like, if we worked in an office together and something happened, I would have him speak up mm. to the bosses for me because I would yes. be labeled angry. I would be labeled. So like, I encourage him to like speak up for his yes. like black counterparts in the office. And he does anyway, he's really, really good at that. Like he's really good at that. Um, but I explained to him why, cause like, I don't know why he doesn't say anything. I was like, here's mm. why he wouldn't say anything. Here's why I wouldn't say anything. Because we are not, we, are, we just don't live mm. in the same country. We don't, we're not welcome here. And there's, and there are very few, few places where we can say I'm actually angry without being like, Angry black woman, aggressive. But do we not have a? We've earned angry black woman. If we are cussing every three minutes, we have earned it. Every twenty, we have earned it. Who else should should not be angry? Like, come on. So even if they want to call us angry black women, call me that. What have you done to allow me to be angry? What have you done to make me so angry? So I'm angry. angry. That's why I'm I'm like, you know what? Honestly, I'm not going to be like I'm not angry. I'm angry. No. Yeah, and you know what? We're also not angry about having to wear masks at Target. Like, that's not us. How are we labeled so angry when, like, I'm just saying, Karen would like to speak to the manager because because her water <laughs> that she didn't get from the refrigerator is lukewarm. Is lukewarm. Like, you know, it's lukewarm. We're angry about shit like, demo- like, like actual fair elections. We're angry because we're being killed in the streets. Who, who has... The right to be angry, not us. Who? They are being babies. But no, the therapy piece, we must continue to beat the drum on therapy. I've had a few people actually say, like, because I've mentioned therapy on a casual way, they've gone out to look for therapists. So I'm so anytime one of us talks about therapy, I'm like, yes, I hope it actually pushes one other person, one more person to go find a therapist because we can't carry all this weight by ourselves. It's too heavy. It's too heavy. 
I talk to everybody about therapy. I don't care if you feel, I, I, I'm not even reading the room to see if you need, I don't do that. I'm not assessing you, I'm not judging nobody. I'm like, look, hey, I got an adult therapist who like, if you don't wanna see her, I'm sure she has references. Like you could like, I don't get, like I'm not assessing anybody being like, you seem sad. I'm not doing that. <laughs> I'm like, listen, there's therapy out here. You should just try it. Or if you don't want it, or if you already have it, you can push this to somebody else. I'm on a mission to make sure everybody gets their brain together because it is extremely hard yes. to be a person. It's and therapy is cardio person. for your mind. On, it yes. is cardio for your mind. You are going to the gym for your spirit. Okay. Your spirit needs to be worked Absolutely. out in that session. So I'm with it. Um, and then one of the reasons why I have you as a guest on this podcast is because I consider you a professional troublemaker. And that for me is a high compliment. So what would you consider professional troublemaker? Hmm. I think that, uh, gosh, I think it's so easy to be a troublemaker especially if you're a woman, especially if you're a black woman, it's the easiest way. The easiest way to be a troublemaker is say, oh, mm. no, thank you. You know, like I have been called a bitch because I said, oh, no, thank you. I'm actually good. Like I'm a diva. I'm all of these things because I didn't want to do the thing that you wanted me to do. Or I felt uncomfortable. And so I said, I think it's, it's so easy to be a troublemaker if you if you value your own comfort above Ooh. strangers. Which I do a lot. I do a lot. I do not like being hugged. And I feel like during the COVID situation where it turns out I'm right, but <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm right. People are like, oh, hi, I'm a hugger. Like, woo. I'm not, I have to be like, I'm actually, I do a thing. <laughs> like people make fun of me where like people try to hug me and I go, oh, hi. And I like put out my hand and they get a little embarrassed. I don't want to embarrass anyone. I just also don't want to be hugged because I'm uncomfortable with a stranger. Same, their oh body my God, my same. Mind. I even put this in my book. I literally put this in my book. Like for people who don't like yeah. hugging strangers who then become visible, then we considered rude when people are like, oh my God, so nice to meet you. Why are we mashing? bodies when i don't know you what, my body your body squeezes what is this not good no. with it like friends <laughs> and family all right let's hug but random person whose very name different. i don't know it makes me deeply uncomfortable very very it's and like i i yeah i'll hug my friends i hug my family i don't have a problem with a hug in general i don't like a specific stranger hug also if i hate you don't force that me to part hug you. what are we doing you know i don't fuck with you don't force me to hug you but for the most part and like i also like do a thing where like if i'm meeting someone for the first time i would like to shake their i'll shake their hand if we're talking for a while like not five minutes but a while and we're having a night together or, or, or whatever i'll hug yes. you then because now Correct. you're not a stranger yes. don't look at me like i'm crazy because i don't want you to wrap your actual limbs and <laughs> breasts and chesses around my breast and chesses and squeezing, that's what a hug is. That's crazy. You're a stranger. Your musk is not used to my musk. That's I'm it. not okay with it. And in the COVID world, we're right, okay? Look at them, them hugger ass people yes. out here. 
Okay. I'm a hugger. Now you've got no. it. Like, no. You are speaking you. my actual language. This is my actual language. I have mm-hmm. literally talked about this. I put it in my new book because I was like, can we talk about boundaries <laughs> and why everybody thinks everybody should want to hug when it's like, I'm a hugger. Okay. I'm a Capricorn. What that got to do with something? Like, are we just <laughs> like just throwing out random adjectives? Is that what we're doing today? Because, <laughs> like, like, congrats. Like, okay. okay. And those I'm a hugger ass people do not give you the opportunity to do it. Because, like, I'm going to use a strong word. Okay, trigger warning. It's rape. <laughs> okay? It's like, it's like, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be forced into a hug. I'm not, not going to do it. Like, because also my, because how do I, how do we, how do we also teach like children that your yes. body belongs to you? Your decisions with your body yes. are your body. And so when other people try to touch your body when you don't want them to, you need to tell an adult, you need to say no, because your body is that your part. boundary. And we have to start... That hug part. your auntie. No, hug her. don't make them hug the hug auntie. Your aunt. yeah. I hate that. That's <laughs> weird. It's weird. It's weird. No, I weird. don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to be mean. I actually just feel really, really um, protective of yes. my body currently. And moving forward, now that there's a vaccine, until honestly, I'm like, oh, we can't go outside until it's available <laughs> at the Walgreens. However, however, moving forward until into 50 51 do not force strangers to hug you you have no idea what kind of body issues people have you have no idea what kind of intimacy issues people have you have no idea what's going on do not for just because you're a hugger doesn't mean that you should force other people to hug you boom troublemaker there it is look (laughs) drop the mic yo drop the mic but this is so dope thank you so much for joining me on professional troublemaker gabby this is great thanks so much for having me thank you yo she's so dope i loved hearing how she got her start in acting because it is absolutely clear that god in the universe intervened so that we could have gabby in a space where she could cause some good trouble And I'm so glad I finally got to talk with her about the viral video I shared from her talk like six years ago. Both of us were in tears over what it led to. The freedom to tell her own story, claim her own narrative, and not depend on the whims of the entertainment industry to make her way in the world. Ooh, so good. Be sure to follow Gabby on social media. She's at Gabby3Shabby on Instagram. That's G-A-B-B-Y 3 S-H-A-B-B-Y on Instagram and Gabby Sidibe on Twitter. And she's absolutely hilarious and inspiring. She's amazing. And if you love this interview, please show her some love. Let her know we enjoyed her time and her energy. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Professional Troublemaker podcast. If you loved what you heard, make sure you subscribe to Professional Troublemaker in your podcast platform of choice and share it with people. Let them know this is dope. Also, order my namesake book, Professional Troublemaker, The Fear Fighter Manual, anywhere that you buy books. I especially love when you buy it from independent bookstores. So go to professionaltroublemakerbook.com for more because this book is game-changing, and I'd say that even if I wasn't the one who wrote it. And please make sure you rate this show and leave a comment with a five-star review, whether you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you choose to listen. Feel free to also share some insights and whatever connected with you on social media. And be sure to tag us. We are at Professional Troublemaker on Instagram. And me, I'm at Lovey everywhere. 
Until next time, have the courage to speak your truth and show up as yourself. Create good trouble.